terms of uh, our government. You know, how submission looks in relationship to the authority that God has placed in our life. And so we're actually continuing on with that same topic, except now it's actually in terms of how it relates to our workplace. And uh, that's one of those things when it comes to our jobs, you know, there's definitely a lot of frustration. Um, There's a recent Forbes article that said that 53% of American workers are unhappy with where they work. Just think about that. Over half of American workers are dissatisfied with where they work. If you actually start looking at different countries around the world, in Japan and China, it says it's a little bit higher. And if you go to the Middle East and Africa, that's where you see the highest percentages, as high as 90 to 95% of people who hate their jobs. In fact, it goes on to say that 70% of workers are disengaged. You know, they go to work, they show up every day, they go through all the motions, but mentally, they've checked out. And that's one of those things where you think about it, work. This is the place where, when it comes to your waking hours, that's where you spend the bulk of your waking hours is at work. And work has become a source of frustration rather than satisfaction. And when they started trying to do the study a little bit deeper, trying to figure out, well, what are the reasons that people are dissatisfied with their job? Different things like pay, getting passed up for a promotion. But the number one reason, the top reason, was the boss. Their relationship with their direct supervisor was the number one cause of dissatisfaction when it comes to jobs. And this is one of those things where I think for us, you know, as Christians, sometimes we think, you know what, we've got to do things with a better attitude. But this isn't an area that's just for, you know, unbelievers. I think Christians are affected just as much. And this also isn't, it's, it's not necessarily a new thing because this passage we're looking at tonight, Peter addresses an issue where there's some people in the church that are not happy with their work situation. And this is what he says in verse number 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffer, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it, if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if, when ye do well, and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bare our sins and his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. In tonight's passage, Peter addresses servants in the church. And when you actually study the early church, this goes beyond just house servants. This also included some people in the church that were actually slaves. And part of the the mindset that they had as servants when they became Christians is they felt that that spiritual freedom that Christ offered should also extend into their personal lives. They should also be free from these terrible, unjust, ungodly masters. Say, hey, we're now believers, so we don't have to answer to these unbelievers. And so in a way, they felt that their responsibility would actually no longer be to those unbelieving masters. And this was one of those things that was widespread in the early church to the point where Paul addressed it on several different occasions. In 1 Corinthians, he talks about servants submitting. Again, in Colossians, 
And then in Titus, he actually teaches Titus, hey, these are some things that you need to make sure you're teaching within your church. And one of those things that he tells Titus to teach is, hey, I want for you to teach servants how to submit to their masters. This is a widespread problem that you saw within that early church, and Peter wanted to address it. And this kind of piggybacks off of what Pastor talked about a couple weeks ago. It's the fact that we are pilgrims and we're strangers. And for me, this was a difficult sermon as I was preparing for it because what Peter is proposing for us to do goes completely against the grain of our culture. It goes completely against the mindset of everyone else in our society. And so he's asking for us to do something completely different because we're strangers and we're pilgrims. But even though we're strangers and even though we don't belong here on this earth, we do have a responsibility to reflect Christ. And as such, we need to submit to our masters. And just as a disclaimer, I'm just going to say just because you follow these little steps or some of these tips, I guess, that I'm going to give tonight, does not guarantee that all of your frustrations at work are magically going to disappear. You know, I wish they did. I mean, I, I wish I had, you know, this magical, you know, here's a couple steps that you follow and all the problems that you have in work automatically disappear. But that's not the case. But I do believe that a lot of our issues when it comes to our attitude can actually improve if we do follow these things. I think the first step to improving our attitude is learning to obey authority. Obeying authority. Verse number 18, it says, Servants, be subject to your masters. You know, being, you know, showing up to work and practicing obedience. It sounds simple, but too often we have a hard time submitting to authority, think even at work. And I know as I look around, I know sometimes there are some bosses that are hard to work for. I know in some cases you look at them and you're just like, well, I'm exempt from obeying them because they're incompetent or because they're mean or whatever the case might actually be. But right here, Peter is telling the people of the church to submit to their masters regardless of the situation. No matter how tough the work situation is, we're called to submit. No matter what our bosses are like, we are called to submit. In Colossians 3, verse number 22, it says, Servants, obey in all things your masters. It doesn't say in some things. It doesn't say in those times where you know, your boss actually makes the right call I want for you to submit. It says, no, obey in all things. By the way, that Forbes article actually went on to say that 58% of supervisors get placed into those positions, never get management training. And they're actually placed there because of tenure rather than their ability to lead. And I do understand that because of that, it does make it very difficult to submit to those masters and to obey them. But Peter urges us, and then Paul in Colossians says, obey them in all things. Obey in all things your masters. It doesn't say Christian master. It doesn't say unchristian master. You know what? It really doesn't matter. God expects for us to obey those in authority. And I think when it comes to um, obedience, this is one of those things that I've worked with the kids. This is one of those topics that they get, I mean, pounded. It seems almost every single month there's another lesson on obedience. In fact, tonight they're learning about obedience. So those of you guys that have first through sixth graders that are upstairs, they're learning about obedience right now. And a lot of times we spend so much time and we say, you know what, we can teach these things to younger kids, but it's a lot easier to teach those than to actually practice obedience. 
And I do understand that it's difficult in some of those cases, but God calls for us to be obedient to those, authority, those in authority. Not just, you know, our parents when we're younger, but also any authority that God has actually placed in our lives. One of my favorite definitions for obedience, and ironically actually comes from a kid's curriculum, is trusting those who lead by doing what I'm asked. And I thought that was a great definition because it shows there's a direct relationship between trust and obedience. When it comes to my daughter, Lane, she's about to turn three. But over the last year, with the terrible twos, we've actually discovered she actually does have an opinion for herself. <laughs> and some of those times when we're trying to get her to do something, she doesn't always just do it. It kind of, it takes a lot of, you know, takes a lot of discipline to get her to obey. But one of the things that I notice is when she believes what I'm saying, she generally obeys. Sometimes she may not listen. Then I'll look at her and I'll say, Leighton, what happens if you don't listen? And she'll laugh. She'll be like, I get a spanking. And she'll hop to it. Because she believes me that if she doesn't listen, there will be some consequences. She believes me. We've also discovered there's three words that are really, they work for her. If something's yucky, scary, or hot, she'll stay away from it. So when it comes to different things, like, okay, there's a gum on, there's a piece of gum on the floor. She tries to go poke at it or scratch it. I know she's going to try to eat it if I let her. And she's over there. She looks at it. Don't touch it. It's yucky. She won't touch it. Because she trusts me that that is actually yucky. Now, she has started kind of turning those against us. So, you know, here, I want you to eat this. I can't eat it. It's hot. And you're just like, okay, no. That's a bowl of cereal. I promise it's not hot. And yet she's thinking somehow she can reason with us. But I've actually noticed with her, obedience and trust go hand in hand. And when it comes to our masters, it, it certainly is easier when you have a supervisor that you trust and you respect. Man, it makes it a whole lot easier to put aside your wants and your needs to be able to follow what they tell you to do. But that's not always the case. You know, I know some of you are out there thinking, you know what, Stephen, I've got a supervisor. I can't trust him as far as I can throw him. You know, I know there's people out there, and you may have been burned in those cases. But let me ask you this. Do you trust God? Yeah, we say yes. It's easy for us to say yes, but do we truly believe in our heart that God has actually placed that supervisor in that position? You know, Ryan touched on it last week with Romans chapter 13, verse number one. The powers that be are ordained of God. So when it comes to our submission, our obedience to our bosses, ultimately, when we fail to submit at work, we're not submitting to God. And when we question the boss's authority, we are questioning God's sovereignty because he's the one that placed them in that position of authority in the first place. I think for us as Christians, if we truly believe in God's sovereignty, that he's in control, then it makes it so much easier for us to obey those in authority because we begin to view them as people that were placed in those situations by God for a purpose. When it comes to obeying those in authority, do you trust God enough do you trust him enough to obey your master that he actually placed in that position? When it comes to obeying our masters, the first thing we can do is to exercise intentional submission. Exercise intentional submission. Verse 18, it says, be subject to your masters. That part, be subject, actually comes from the same word as verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Ryan talked about it last week. This is a military term. It talks about people that are falling into rank. 
The moment that they put on the military uniform, they're placing aside their own agendas, and they're going to follow the orders of whatever their uh, officer tells them to do. Because if they don't, they know that it may endanger someone else's life or it may jeopardize the mission. So when it comes to our American military, for two to three months, depending on the branch, they actually send them away to basic training. And what are they taught? Mm -hmm. To submit. No questions asked. You're going to submit and do what you're actually told. My dad's actually in here tonight. He was in the Navy for 20 years. So I grew up in a military family. When it came to that, I knew who was in charge. I knew I had an opinion, but my opinion didn't matter. And that was one of those things where kind of growing up with that, I knew that when it came to submitting, you know, it was a good choice to submit because otherwise, you, you know, my well-being might be in danger. So when it comes to that, submission is something that, you know, it was, it was ingrained in me. And you take it a step further, my mom's Japanese. I grew up in the Japanese culture for my, you know, in my early childhood. When it comes to their society, they're very much by the book, everyone submits. In fact, uh, some of you guys on Facebook, you may have seen these things where it's a list of like, you know, 23 reasons why I love Japan. And it's, you scroll through pictures and you see all sorts of neat things that you see happen over there, but not in other places around the world. And one of the pictures shows people that are just crammed into one side of the stairs heading up and the other side where they're supposed to head down is completely empty. And you kind of read through those comments, and it's one of those things because when you see it, in our American mindset, when we don't understand the culture and the context where that's actually taking place, you look at that and you're just like, why don't they just open up both sides and let everyone go up? Because they know in about 30 seconds there's going to be another train coming in and you'll get trampled to death by a hundred, couple hundred people coming the other direction. So what ends up happening is you have thousands upon thousands of Japanese people walking through the train station and they're submitting to these little tiny arrows that are painted on every few steps showing you which way to go up or go down. And so for me, that's kind of the way I was raised, in a military family, in the Japanese culture. So when it comes to submission, I'll be honest, generally I don't have a problem submitting. That's not always the case, and I'll be honest, submitting sometimes doesn't actually occur naturally. You know, it may go against your nature. You might not just be wired that way. Okay? In fact, for some people, it might be where you've been burned. Based off of your past experience, maybe you've had some situations where, you know what? Someone abused the trust that you actually placed in them. And because of it, you end up kind of you know, keeping yourself, and you say, you know what? I can't submit. I, I can't submit myself to someone else's will because I don't trust them. But because of it, I think submission needs to be intentional. This is one of those things where every single day when we get up, Day after day after day, we need to make a conscious choice. You know what? When I show up to work, I'm going to submit my will to my boss's will. And to do that, to show up at work, to, to do whatever task is actually assigned to you, to do that with diligence, to work faithfully and honestly, because we need to remember the people around us, they're watching. They're watching everything we do. They know that you're Christians, so as they actually watch how you respond, we need to remember to be intentionally submissive. Make that choice. Not only that, but to offer unconditional respect. In the second part of verse 18, it says, be subject to your masters with all fear, to respect them. And again, I know this is, you know, it's one thing to do what you're asked. I think it's another thing to um, respect them because it goes beyond just going through the motions. This is completely changing our mindset with how we view those people in authority. 
And Peter says, you know what? You need to submit to them with all fear, to respect them. And he goes on to say, not just the good and the gentle, because we, it's like, man, I'm off the hook if they're bad, right? It's like, no, not just to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. See, it doesn't matter what the boss is like. We're still called to respect them. We're still called to fear them. And I think this is one of those things we need to remember is uh, respect is a choice that we make when it comes to authority. They may not have earned it. In fact, they may not even deserve it. But God commands us to respect those people in authority. And I think this is especially difficult because we do live in a culture where we're quick to demand respect, but then reluctant to respect authority. That's the type of culture we live in today. But Peter reminds us that as Christians, we're pilgrims, we're strangers. So because of that, every single thing that we do and our mindset should be completely different than everyone else in the culture. Respecting those people in authority, whether or not they deserve it, this is something that all Christians are expected to do and commanded to do because ultimately that's what glorifies God. Ultimately, that is what points our coworkers and our bosses and the customers, everyone we come in contact with, it points them back to Christ. And so Peter encourages us to obey those in authority. Not just that, but he teaches us how to overcome adversity. Overcoming adversity. Think at work. You place aside, you know, what's going on with the bosses, but at work, things don't always go the way that we want them to. And I do understand there's those bad days, you know, those frustrating days from time to time. And when we're in those situations and when things aren't going our way, like I said, the same thing. People are watching. The people all around us, they're watching and they want to see how we as believers respond. And Peter addresses those times when we feel mistreated. Look at verse number 19. For this is thankworthy. That part, thankworthy, actually means something that affords joy and delight to the Lord. You want to do something that makes God happy? He says, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. He says, you want to do something that makes God happy? Be conscious of God's presence. Live every single day with an awareness that God is with you every single step of the way. That part where it says conscience towards God is the process of thought that distinguishes between what is morally good and bad. And not just to be able to distinguish between what is right and wrong, but to be able to choose to do what is right. Because you're consciously aware that God is with you every single day. If you flip back to Colossians chapter number 3, where Paul addresses the servants, he goes on to say, not with eye service. So we don't just obey our masters for eye service. We don't do it to be recognized. It says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. See, when we do what's right at work, we're ultimately doing our work. Not to make the boss happy, not to make his day. We do it to please the Lord. You know, do we behave differently depending on who's watching? I'm disappointed to say that some days say, I would probably be behaving a little bit differently if I had someone else watching. You know, and I think we're so quick to forget that God watches us. So this whole purpose of submitting to authority and to obey their commands 
It's not about doing it for them. It's about doing it for God. There's a story about some Jewish rabbis. And these two rabbis were actually going on this trip. And they showed up in this town. And it was actually quite late. And one of the rabbis who was actually from that area, he didn't want to bother anyone asking them for a place to stay. So what they decided to do was to go to the baker's. Okay? And he looked at the other rabbi and he goes, I know it's past 1 a.m. in the morning, so this baker is going to be at the bakery baking the loaves, bread, whatever else for the next day. So he actually goes on to explain that when it comes to the Jewish people, everyone in Israel, in their heart of hearts, wants to do good. So everyone works as a shoemaker or as a tailor or as a baker, no matter what they do, they don't do it to make money, but to serve. See, they view their work not as a job, but as a calling from God. Imagine if we had that same mindset. Sure, when it comes to work, we work so we can make a living. We work so we can actually earn some money, but that is all secondary. The primary purpose of our work is to serve others and to glorify God. And when it comes to work, when we start changing our mindset about how we view work, when we start recognizing that this isn't for the boss, it's not for the customer. It's for God because when I submit to God and when I give it my best, then the others see Christ through me. When we start changing our mindset and that becomes the mindset of our work, then it makes it so much more enjoyable. And I think that's what it's all about, living and working with an awareness of God's presence. So that as it says back in verse number 12, when our behavior is honest among the Gentiles, they'll see our good works and they will glorify God. We need to be conscious of God's presence. Not only that, but we should be respectful when disciplined. In the first part of verse 20, it says, For what glory is it when ye be buffeted for your faults that ye take it patiently? Peter says, you know what? If you get punished for something that you did wrong, there's no glory in it. He says, I'm not going to pat you on the back because uh, you had what's coming to you. That's only reasonable that you actually got punished. In fact, that word buffeted, Kind of give you an idea, this, this means to hit someone with a closed fist. You know, think about these servants or some of the slaves that were in the early church. Keep in mind that if they were undutiful or if they were disrespectful, it could very well lead to physical punishment. And you want to talk about a, a harsh work environment? I think a lot harsher than what we actually have to deal with. Think uh, the fact that they could physically be beaten, you know, I think that trumps anything else that we would actually experience and even in spite of that, Peter says that it means nothing if you take your physical punishment if you deserved it. It doesn't matter how brutal it is. If you take that punishment, man, there's no glory in it. There's nothing. I mean, that's what's expected is what he's saying. In Colossians 3.25, it says, He that does wrong shall receive the wrong for which he has done. See, we as Christians, we know that for you know, whatever we sow, we're going to reap. So when it, comes to, when it comes to our work, when we don't do what is expected, when we don't show it up when we're expected, then it may result in some sort of punishment. And when that punishment happens, we've got nothing we can do except for take it patiently and to be respectful. We were at Zaxby's last week, and Lindsay just started uh, laughing in the middle of the meal because there was a sign behind me that said, life is hard. It's harder if you're stupid. And that was one of those things. I was like, man, it's so true. Life is, I mean, life is hard. And I'll be honest, you can kind of, you can apply that to work as well. Work can be hard and work can be frustrating. But I promise you, if you're stupid about it, it's going to be even harder. 
It's going to be even tougher and more frustrating. And by some of our own choices, we really can make our lives more difficult than what it needs to be. As a result, we end up suffering these natural consequences. A lot of you guys in here know that I'm, uh, I've had my fair share of accidents. Generally not on the road. It's usually in the parking lot backing out of a parking spot. And I'm just going to say, all right, for those of you that want to judge me, I come by it honestly. This is learned behavior. Um, <laughs> when I was younger, my parents drove around a Ford Aerostar that barely had a back bumper because they backed into so many things because of it. So I come by it honestly. They taught me that's how you back up out of spots. And I will say this, okay, it is ironic because that going back to that Japanese culture, they always park backing in. So had I just parked like that, I think I'd be fine pulling out because that's usually not when it happens. Um, but back in college, I actually had a job working at a, at a car lot at Ford down in Jackson. Uh, you guys are already laughing at me. Like, it's like, you know, I already know where this is going. But when it comes to this job, it was basically there was a department, uh, a division of Ford that would sell their vehicles to, um, you know, public service, law enforcement, stuff like that. And my job, I'd go and pull the vehicles, go find it in this crazy lot. They're packed and they're tight. All the corners are tight. There's, there's absolutely no room for air. So I go to back up one of these cars. And I put it in reverse. I'm watching. I'm being careful. And I turn back and look around as the car's still rolling back. You know, like in an empty parking lot, you want to try to pull that stunt, not a big deal. In something packed as much as that, like it just, it didn't end good. So I hear this crunch. And I look out the window and there's my direct supervisor out there yelling all sorts of stuff that I can't repeat in front of you today. <laughs> but you can kind of imagine what's going on with that. But I can at least tell you this much. That job only lasted till the end of that day. <laughs> that was it. Once he finally cooled down, he comes over. He's like, Steven, I just done. And he was actually, to be honest, quite kind about it when he uh, let me go. But he was like, Steven, I just don't think things are working out. You know, you can grab your last check on your way out. <laughs> that was one of those things where at the end of the day, that wasn't him being too harsh. That wasn't any of the things that I couldn't say anything about it because that's what I had coming to me. That's what was deserved for what I had done. There's another story back at, at Trinity. Um, this was after I graduated. Lindsay was still in college there, but I worked at uh, campus security. And so working at campus security, part of your job, you just go around and you know, make sure nothing's going on. The big thing is unlocking doors for events, locking doors back, and just kind of watching the parking lot. So we'll kind of make our rounds over to the college parking lot. And most of the other guys that worked, they were also college students. So depending on what uh, you had going on, you know, you may spend a little bit more time at certain parts of campus. So there's guys that spend a lot of time protecting that ping pong table and making sure nothing happened there. You know, there's some guys, and the, I'll be honest, the boss was cool with this, so he, wouldn't, he, he, he knew we had to make our rounds, but he was fine as long as we didn't stay too long in any one place. Um, some guys would go to the library, they'll kind of work on part of their homework and then just continue on, make their rounds come back, do that. Lindsay worked in the coffee shop, so you can kind of imagine where I gave a little bit of extra attention, <laughs> was at the coffee shop. Okay, and then one time, like I said, the boss was fine with it, but the dean of students at Trinity, he wasn't too happy about the fact that I was in the coffee shop, there were others that were in the library, there were others that would just spend the whole time in the college activity center. So he made a comment to, the, to our supervisor about it. And so one week, Lindsay made a comment to one of my friends about like, hey, I, I haven't really seen Steven around. And he's like, well, we kind of got in trouble for uh, giving a little bit too much attention. He got in trouble for giving too much attention, too much security to the coffee shop. <laughs> so when it came to those, I mean, I could have been frustrated over the fact that, you know what, 
And, and the way it got handled was basically, if you're in some sort of area for uh, ulterior motives, then you know what, send someone else over there, the security guards, because we usually had a couple guys on shift, and then you can stay somewhere else. And that was fine, we could still make our rounds through those areas, but he said, don't ever stay in any one place. And that was one of those things where when he talked to us, that wasn't the boss being unfair. That wasn't the boss being mean and trying to say, you know what, I'm just trying to break you and Lindsay up, so we're just gonna make it to where you can't see her, okay? That wasn't the case at all. He wanted to show me these are the expectations. And so for that time when he made the correction, I had absolutely no option but to take it respectfully and to take it with patience. See, when we bring on some sort of punishment or some sort of correction, it's only right to own up to our mistakes. And I know in life it's, it's a lot easier to justify our actions, sometimes to maybe pass the buck, blame it on someone else, or even to, um, to downplay it. My boss is being too harsh. He's overreacting over this situation. But when we bring these punishments and the corrections on ourselves, when you're late day after day after day, and the boss says, you can't be doing this, that's not the boss being too harsh. When you're not getting the work done that the boss is expecting for you to get done, and he says, hey, what's going on with this? And you have those you know, nice little come to Jesus meetings with the boss. That is not the boss being too harsh. Those are those situations when we don't meet those expectations and we don't measure up to those standards that we need to say, you know what? I'm going to take this respect, with respect and I'm going to learn from it. See, and Peter expected, hey, if you get beat, if you get punished over something that you've actually done, you have no choice but to take it patiently. It goes on to say that when we're mistreated, we should be patient. But if when you do well and suffer for it and take it patiently, this is acceptable to God. I think uh, here in our society, we have our tendencies to think, you know what, if I'm mistreated, I've got my rights. You know, I'm going to fight for my rights. And that's kind of ingrained in us. You know, and I, I'm not saying in any way that the bosses should mistreat people. In fact, in those passages where Paul addresses servants, he also addresses those masters. And he says, hey, this is how you should treat the people that are, that are under you. Okay? And so, yes, they should be treating us with respect. But I think a lot of times we think, you know what, I'm going to fight for my rights. I'm going to protest. I'm going to go on strike. And that's kind of our tendency as an American culture to think, you know what, I'm going to fight for my rights because what's being done to me isn't fair. I'm sure most of your parents have told you that phrase, right? Life isn't fair fair. You know, and it's so true when it comes to work as well. Work may not be fair, but as followers of Christ, we are called to act differently, to respond differently. In those times where life isn't fair or work is frustrating, for us to say, you know what, I'm just going to give up. No, that's not the option. That's not an option. That is not what God calls for us to do. He says, you know what, in those trials that you face, be patient. Know that you have a greater hope. This hope that we're talking about in 1 Peter that's the hope that we have, okay? And because we have this hope, we can respond differently even when we're mistreated. Even when our bosses don't treat us the way that we deserve, we can rise above that and say, you know what? That's fine. I'm still going to be respectful. I'm still going to be obedient, and I'm going to be patient through this, okay? And when it comes to obeying, or, um, obeying authority as well as overcoming um, adversity, the third thing that Peter kind of shows us how to do is how to emulate Christ. Following Christ's footsteps. In verse number 20, excuse me, 21, it says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example 
that ye should follow in his steps. See, in everything that we do at work, we cannot forget to follow after Christ's steps. We can't forget to follow his example because this whole idea of submission is not about making your life miserable, okay? I know for me being up here speaking, you might just be like, well, you have no idea what my work situation is, and I really don't. But I'm not saying submit because I'm wanting to make your life miserable, okay? This Peter is not telling you to submit to make your life miserable, saying this whole idea of submission is about reflecting Christ so that others come to know him. It's about living above reproach so that our actions don't bring any reproach to Christ. In verse number 22, it says that Christ, through his actions, he didn't sin. 22a, who did no sin. And you talk about the perfect example of not ever sinning. And Peter says, hey, I want you to follow Christ's example. It doesn't matter what's going on at work. Don't sin. Some of you guys may feel like your boss is actually asking to do something that's wrong. He just kind of tell you in Acts chapter 9, it says we are to obey God rather than men. Okay? And so just let that be the foundation for what I'm about to say. I'm not by any way endorsing, you know, you need to submit to your boss and do something that is wrong. But I think a lot of times we get in our minds, you know, the boss is asking us to do something and we don't like it. I think a lot of times in the back of my mind, what truly is going on is we don't like the boss's decision. And so our cop-out is, well, you know, I think it's wrong. Okay? It might be the wrong decision. It may not necessarily be something that is sinful or unethical. But when it comes to those situations, how do we handle those? I think a couple practical things we could actually, I think we should ask ourselves, is what the boss asking truly sinful or is it truly unethical? Because we might look at it and just be like, hey, it's wrong, but might be the wrong decision. It might be something that's going to take the organization down a road that you may not want to see it go down. But at the end of the day, if it's not sinful and if it's not unethical, Christ calls us to submit to those. At the same time, follow Christ's example not to sin. Okay, you say, well, what if it is sinful? What if they're asking me to do something that actually is unethical? I think the right thing to do as a Christian is to approach them. I mean, not <laughs> don't do it rashly. But to pray about it, pray, pray that, you know, to, for God to give you wisdom, pray that God would actually allow for that supervisor to receive it well and to actually appeal to that supervisor. Say, well, what happens if it doesn't appeal? I will say this. I think there may be some situations where we may, it might be necessary for us to remove ourselves from certain authorities. And by the way, this is not a decision that I think, you know, anyone should take lightly. So I don't, I don't say that lightly in any way. If you look at the Old Testament example of David, okay, he had a pretty uh, messed up work situation. His boss was throwing spears at him, right? You think about that. You go into work. Can you imagine if your boss threw a spear at you? What sort of conversation you actually have on the way out? I, I don't think any of us would actually ever return to work. David didn't just walk out. In fact, in that, that last little uh, interaction that he had with Jonathan, he actually told Jonathan, I want you to go in, have dinner with your dad, I want you to mention, if he, if he ever asks about, hey, what's going on with David, tell him that David went back to Bethlehem. David had to go sacrifice, be with his family, spend some time with his family, so he's actually not here. And tell me what your dad's response is. Tell me how Saul responds. Response. If he responds where he's like, you know, seems like he cares, seems real calm about it, hey, you know, we miss David. We wish he was actually here. You know, he's a part of our family. Then I'll come back. Even after Saul tried to kill him, 
He said, you know what? If the very mention of my name just sets him off and he gets angry, send me a warning shot with that arrow and I'm out of here. See, David didn't take that situation lightly, but at the same time, he did recognize there are some work situations where we may be forced to prayerfully consider, should I remove myself from this authority? And I will say, if your boss is asking you to do something that is sinful or unethical, I truly do believe that sometimes we may need to pray about removing ourselves from those situations. Because ultimately, our job is to keep our testimony, to keep our integrity. So when it comes to those choices, like I said, I'm not saying this lightly, but for us as Christians, if we're to keep our testimony and to continue showing people Christ, then we need to follow Christ's example. First and foremost, we cannot give in to sin. And not only in his actions, but we also see that Christ in his speech. Verse 22, the second part, it says, neither was guile found in his mouth. No guile. That means it was completely pure, completely unadulterated. No complaining, no griping, no saying, I can't believe what, you know, my boss made me do. Okay? As Christ was actually going to the cross and he was being beaten, he never once complained about it. You know? I think that mindset that he has is, he said, ultimately, I'm going to do God's will. It says, not my will, but thine. So he didn't complain about what was actually going on. In Colossians 4, 6, it says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. And it doesn't matter what situations we face. Our speech should also be above reproach. Not just that, but his response. Christ's response. In verse 23, it says, Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. And we know that Christ could have called down 10,000 angels to save him off of that cross. And I kind of take it a step further. He could have called down 10,000 angels to wipe out all the soldiers and the people that were trying to crucify him. But he chose not to do that. He didn't resort to violence just because he was being mistreated. When we look at Christ, he didn't deserve a single bit of that punishment, and yet he accepted it. And his response said, you know what? I'm not going to respond in the same way that they're actually treating me. There's a very close family friend and a man that I respect very much down in Jacksonville. And uh, from time to time, when I was in college down there, I'd go into his office, just kind of shoot the breeze, talk to him about, you know, how life is and stuff like that, and try to get little nuggets of wisdom from him. And one of the things I remember him telling me is, he said, Stephen, people don't judge you based on your actions so much as they do by your reactions. Well, that was good. You know what? People don't judge you so much based on your actions as they do your reactions. You know, because when it comes to your actions, a lot of times that is kind of who you are. And many people can actually accept that. But then when it comes to those reactions and how you respond to other people, man, that's just as vital. And that's one of those things where for us, it's difficult. But you look at Christ's example. He says he committed to him who judged righteously. He committed his case to God because he knew, you know what? These people, what they're doing is unjust. What they're doing is wrong. But I'm not their judge. God is their judge. In Romans 12, verses 19 and 21. It says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. And this part, love this verse. Be not overcome of evil, 
but overcome evil with good. May he committed his case to God who judges righteously. So just keep this in the back of your mind. Those people that are mistreating you, God is going to judge them. But also keep in mind, if you respond to them in a way that is wrong, God will also judge us. So when it comes to those things, Christ responded in the perfect manner, and he did not respond in the same way that they treated him. In verse 24, it says, Who of his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Verse 24, man, I think that is a great verse about Christ's substitutionary death. In fact, that is a verse that I can still quote to this day. I learned it in Awana about 20 years ago. Never knew the context, never knew this had anything to do with slaves and their master and the relationship between them. But here's the connection. We are to follow Christ's example of submission. What an incredible example. Talking the perfect example of setting, setting aside his will for a much greater purpose. To save the world from their sins. And he said, you know what, I'm going to place aside my will because there's some eternal significance in what needs to be done. And so he says, not my will, but thine. He was willing to place aside what he wanted for the greater good. I think when it comes to us in the workplace, we, if we are to follow his example, we should set aside our will for a greater purpose. And I don't want you to make any mistakes. I'm not saying that the bottom line of your company is the greater purpose. That is not the greater purpose. We need to, the greater purpose is to see others come to know Christ. And so when we think about it in the workplace, for us, by our actions, I think if I were to ask you, do this one task for your boss. And if you do that, you're going to see someone come to know Christ. How many of you guys are actually going to do it? I'd say all of us would. You know, but it's through the small actions every single day. Those daily choices that we make for every single day that we show up to work, that that's just another glimpse that the workplace gets of how Christians should respond. So when it comes to showing the people around us about Christ, it all starts with us emulating Christ and living like he does. goes on to say that before salvation, we were a sheep going astray. You're wandering around. Or in the case of this work environment, you're doing the motions, you're going through all of this stuff, but you're doing it without a purpose. It says, hey, now you've got a purpose. You've returned to the shepherd. In the Middle East, a shepherd was someone that was responsible for looking out for enemies that were attacking the sheep. He was there to defend the sheep. He was there to... Uh, to heal the sick and the hurting. He was there to, um, to love on them and to care for them. Goes on to say, and the bishop, this is an overseer, someone who's responsible for your spiritual growth. And when it comes to those two things, they're, they're describing Christ. Peter's saying, listen, at one point, you're going through the motions, you're doing all of these things for work, but you didn't have a purpose. Now you actually have a purpose. You have a shepherd who is there to protect you, and loves you. You have, an over, you have a bishop. He's someone who cares about your spiritual growth. And so because of him, we should actually place aside our own agenda and our own wants to be able and actually do what our supervisors ask for us to do. And that's one of those things I think, uh, you know, I'm not, I think uh, some of you guys might be looking at me and just be like, well, Stephen, you work for an organization that's not going to ask you to do anything 
unethical or immoral, you know. And so I know in many respects that it is a little bit different coming from me. But let me just kind of share with you, there, there still are frustrations with every job. You know, don't find me after the service and ask for examples. You're not going to get any. <laughs> but when it comes to those things, there, it, it doesn't matter with any job. But if we are to be an example to the people around us, if we are to be that hope for a hurting world, then it's going to start by us obeying the authority, overcoming adversity, and then emulating Christ in every day that we show up to work. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all you've done for us.